You're listening to Advancing Our Church. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. Welcome back, everybody. I'm so glad that you decided to join us today and join us for our special guest, Deacon Ed Schoner. If this is your first time, I hope that you will subscribe. I hope you'll stick around. You can just push that little subscribe button right there on your phone, on your computer, wherever you're downloading this. Uh, You can like us on YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, you name it, Twitter. And I just hope that you will stick around because this is a great community. We're a learning community. We continue to learn how others are advancing the mission of our church. And Deacon Ed is a wonderful example of that for us today. Also, we are a production of Changing Our World, a fundraising and national consulting firm. We've been providing service to the Catholic Church for over 20 years. In 2022, if you are thinking about a capital campaign, a stewardship initiative, a major gift effort, maybe your annual fund needs to do an overhaul, we would love to talk with you. You can find us at changingourworld.com. You can send an email to me at jim at advancingourchurch.com, and and we'd love to give you more information about our fundraising services and how we can help you raise more money in 2022. This is the season of Advent, and as I prepared for my own journey yesterday, I was on the phone, or I had a Zoom call, I should say, with Father Chris, my spiritual advisor, and he asked me how I was preparing for the season of Advent and specifically about mortification. And mortification is not something that I had typically associated with Advent. Of course, the season of Advent is a time when we prepare for the coming of Christ and the gift of Jesus in our world. And when I think about Advent and how I prepare for Christmas, there usually isn't a whole lot of suffering or denying myself involved. Let's face it, we all get invited to Christmas parties. We make delicious treats during this time of year, like Christmas cookies and fudge or whatever your traditions are. And honestly, it really never struck me that this is also a season like Lent where we're called to give something up. It's built into us when we get to Lent, right? We're, we're used to that. When we hear Lent, we think of giving something up, and, and that's just kind of programmed in. But not for some reason in the season of Advent. It's, it, it's taken a very different commercial bent. But we're, we're also called to prepare to give something up, to prepare our hearts and purify ourselves for the coming of Christ, this amazing gift that God gave us. And we don't prepare ourselves by eating more fudge or trying a new Christmas ale. We, we do so by going without something. And that makes sense because oftentimes the commercial version of Christmas is excess. We buy things for people that they don't need. We ask for things that we really don't need. We spoil our kids, or at least I do, because we want them to be happy. But going without something is not something I think that most of us do well at Christmas time. So mortification is a practice of denying your will so that you grow closer in greater detachment from the things of this world, because these are not the things that are going to help you achieve holiness. It's not that everything we like or desire is bad, but if we want true holiness, our desire for God has to be greater than those things. So I'm not telling you that you have to give up your favorite eggnog this Advent, if that's your guilty pleasure. But think about that one thing that will be a sacrifice that will remind you throughout Advent that commercialism is not what Christmas is all about. That's not the reason for the season Jesus is. Now, let's get to work. Today, our guest is Deacon Ed Schoner, the president of the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers. In 2016, Deacon Ed's daughter Katie committed suicide after a lifelong battle with bipolar disorder. 
And Deacon Ed will share her story and how this called him to help found this national ministry with Bishop John Dolan of the Diocese of San Diego and many others to address the mental health crisis in the United States. I have no doubt personally that this has touched everyone listening to this episode today in some way, myself included. And so without further ado, here is Deacon Ed Schoner. Well, welcome, everyone. Welcome to Advancing Our Church, and we're joined today by Deacon Ed Schoner. Deacon, welcome to our program today. Good to meet you, Jim. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to read a little short bio on Deacon Schoner, and then we'll get into our our conversation today. So Ed Schoner was ordained a permanent deacon in 2004 and serves at St. Peter's Cathedral in the Diocese of Scranton. Deacon Schoner is a founding member of the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers, and the Catholic Institute of Mental Health Ministry at the University of San Diego. He serves on the Council of Mental Illness of the National Catholic Partnership on Disability and on the Board of Pathways to Promise, an interfaith cooperative that facilitates the faith community's work in reaching out to those with mental illness and their families. Deacon Schoner, along with Bishop John Dolan, co-authored two books, Responding to Suicide, a Pastoral Handbook for Catholic Leaders, and When a Loved One Dies by Suicide by Ave Maria Press. Deacon Schoner, along with his family and friends, founded the Katie Foundation after his daughter Kathleen died by suicide in 2016. Katie's obituary went viral because it spoke to the needs and concerns of people who live with mental illness. Deacon Schoner lives with his family in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And Deacon Schoner, you're just about an hour away from me. So uh, it's great to have a neighbor here on the podcast. <laughs> absolutely. We are, our diocese adjoin each other, right? A- absolutely. Absolutely. Deacon Ed, if you don't mind, uh, uh, if you don't mind me calling you that, um, Deacon Ed, uh, if you're comfortable, would you tell us first a little bit about your daughter Kathleen's story and a little bit about your own journey in this ministry? Sure. You know, God can turn everything to the good, even the the evil of suicide. And I see that happening through Katie's story. Uh, we miss her dearly. Uh, but her story is is this. I mean, Katie was a, a beautiful, wonderful, vibrant young woman. She was born on Halloween in uh, 1986, and she was 29 when she died. But growing up, Halloween around our house was a blast. She was, she was this, this gregarious little girl who all the <laughs> neighborhood kids came here for Halloween parties, and we just went uh, you know, crazy at Halloween. And as she grew, she was very bright, and uh, she was the salutatorian of her high school class. She was the captain of her soccer team, scoring goals. She was, uh, you know, everybody in the school, everybody in uh, the Scranton High School knew Katie. Uh, you know, I'm biased. I'm her father. I would say she was the most popular kid in the school. I don't know if that was necessarily of true. Course. But she was widely, she was well-known and well-liked by everybody in her class. And so my wife and I uh, went away one weekend. I had a business trip. And so one of the few times, you know, when you get kids in high school, you know, you, you think twice about going away. But we went away for, for an evening one time and we got a call. And that was the first time that we realized Katie was struggling with uh, mental health issues. We got a call that Katie had attempted suicide and it came right out of the blue. You know, given Katie's life in high school, we had no reason to think she was uh, struggling like that. Everything seemed fine on the surface. It turned out she was cutting and she was hiding it with bracelets to relieve her, the tension associated with her mental illness. Uh, she had bi- she was subsequently diagnosed as having bipolar one disorder, which causes highs and lows. 
you know, I didn't know what to make of it first. We didn't know what it was. There was a lot of misunderstanding on our part and everybody's part. And when she attempted suicide the first time, you know, like I said, everybody knew Katie. She came back to school and it was just this hush. Everybody knew what happened, but nobody knew what to say to us. Nobody, you know, we didn't know how to even process it. So the stigma, that was our first interaction with the stigma, and I would say outright discrimination that people who live with a mental illness experience in their families. You know, she had, you know, gotten in an auto accident and, you know, broken a couple bones in her body. Everyone would have been coming over the house and bringing casseroles and things like that. But uh, I've since come to learn that mental illness is not a casserole illness. People do not bring casseroles over when your child attempts suicide or is admitted to a psychiatric hospital. It's simply because, they, you know, we don't know what to do. There's such fear around these illnesses. She lived a good life. She went to NYU in Manhattan. She went to Penn State, graduated there with a business degree, got an MBA from Ohio State. Football fans don't understand that, how you could go to Penn State and Ohio State, but right. she, was not, she was not big in football, so she didn't have a problem <laughs> with that. Uh, she got an MBA from uh, Fisher School of Business at wow. Ohio State. She was very bright. She was in human resource management. She went into that, not to finance or any of those things. She went into human resource because she wanted to help other people succeed, and she saw human resource as a way to do that. But I'll tell you, Jim, these illnesses are just relentless. And uh, for Katie, she'd take the medicines and see a therapist all the time, and she'd be good for a while, and then her body would react with the meds, and they'd stop working. They'd have to switch up the meds. She, she took it very seriously, and she was, did not want to die by suicide. When, when she'd have these attempts or the depression overwhelm her and she'd get stable, she'd say, oh, my God, I'm glad I didn't die. And she didn't want to die by suicide. It's just these illnesses are just relentless. Sadly, on August 3rd, 2016, I'm sure it was impulsive. She died by suicide, and uh, uh, our hearts were torn. And shortly after she died, that evening when she died, my I was sitting at this computer, and my wife still doesn't understand it, and I, I would say it was the work of the Holy Spirit, and I'll, I'll find out when the day I die if that was the case, but I, I wrote this very short obituary that simply said she had a uh, she had a mental illness and she died by suicide. And the, uh, the hope was to open up a discussion here in Scranton about that, just here in our town of Scranton and the parish. But much to my surprise, the second most surprising thing in my life, other than Katie's death, was the response to that obituary that went viral. It got covered all over the U.S. and around the world, and I heard from you know thousands, tens of thousands of people. And they all talked about this issue that you can't, uh, the stigma and, uh, and the discrimination that people with mental illnesses live with, that their families live with, the isolation. And, you know, for, um, for a lunkhead from Scranton, like me, I always say that that was God's way of hitting me overhead with a two-by-four, that this is a ministry that's needed in the church now. Mental health ministry is needed in the church. So that's my story as to how I got to the point of mental health ministry. Uh, there's probably very few people around the country who don't have connection to this this story, whether it's a family member or an extended family member who's suffering from mental illness. I think all of us I've seen people in our lives who, who struggle. Did you find at the time that there were resources available to you as you kind of tried to work through this with Katie through your Catholic faith? Or what led you to kind of begin this new ministry for the Association of Catholic Health, Mental Health Ministers? Well, the hard reality at the time was there weren't resources. Sure. The hard reality at the time was the church was the last place I thought I could go to get information, consolation, and support because people within the church 
don't know much about this. You know, you, we were talking, you're in Deacon formation program. I was at formation. I think maybe I got a couple hours on mental health during my formation. Not much. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I know there's very little on it in seminary. So the clergy has very, you know, some, some priests that of course specialize and go into some specialty, but as a, as a broad, issue. Most clergy have very little knowledge of mental health. And then we all swim in the same cultural waters. So the, the general church community, the, the people in the pews, so to speak, we don't have a whole depth of knowledge and understanding of, of mental illness and suicide. So no, there weren't a lot of resources in the church. That's why we got involved in this ministry, because that we can do better than that. And I'm absolutely convinced that the Holy Spirit is moving. It's a time now when I think people are open to this, to talk about mental health and mental illness and how Christ wants to be with us in the midst of these struggles and accept us as we are. You know, all too often in the past, I think there was this attitude, well, you know, if you got a mental illness, go over there to see a psychologist or therapist, get yourself fixed and bound up a little, and then come back to the church. And then, you know, once, you, once you're good, you know, no, I mean, that's great. We, we, of course, want people to get psychological care, but we, the church should accept people and can accept people for the way they are. Mm-hmm. If you have schizophrenia and you're having auditory hallucinations, come on in. We'll accept that. If you have extreme anxiety and you can't sit through the mass and you have to get up and walk around a little bit, well, that's fine. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we can accept people with these serious illnesses and even with the, with the less severe illnesses, at least be a place where we can openly talk about it struggle with these questions of where's God in the midst of this? Why am I depressed? Because, you know, all too often the church struggled trying to understand this too and kind of, you know, led people, maybe it never explicitly said it, but certainly led people to believe that maybe depression or anxiety is due to a lack of faith or because you're not praying enough or something like that. You know, that's that's not the case. And I struggle with depression. And when depression comes over me, it's like a fog coming in in the bay or Whatever metaphor you want to take, I mean, I don't have control over it. I, I now recognize it, but I can't just make it go away with a prayer. I wish I could, but so you hang on and you hope you have people around you that understand and will be there with you. Yeah. So that's what you hope for in the church. And I don't know if you know, Jim, that this month the Pope's prayer for November is for people that suffer with depression. Yes, absolutely. I, I saw that. Absolutely. But I would think also one of the challenges is just getting the right diagnosis for your daughter and, and for just because there's so many different folks out there that follow so many different trains of thought. And then also when you when you find somebody, and I think this is probably one of the great values you can bring. When you find a therapist that they share the same values as your family, I've also I've been in counseling myself that you uh, may or may not find a person who shares your same values that understands your life perspective that understands even your faith to that to that degree. Right. That's one of the things we try to help people with to find therapists that they can work with that that share their values for sure. Yeah. So there's there's therapy and counseling that helps with a lot of sure. this. With some of these more serious mental illnesses, you need psychiatrists and, mm-hmm. and medicines. And a lot of times with these uh, the diagnosis, the the science of psychiatry and mental health care is not where it, you know where it needs to be yet. Right. Um, so for example, you can't go in and get a blood test or a uh, a saliva test, and someone will give you a diagnosis and say you have bipolar or depression or schizophrenia. I mean, there's work being done in the research labs that maybe you're giving some hints of di- better diagnostic tools. But right now, the basic diagnostic tool is talking to people yes. and trying to discern their answers and discern their symptoms and then trying to put them in a, a diagnostic box that leads to some sort of therapies and, and medicines. It's a lot of mm-hmm. hit and miss and guessing. And yeah, it's very frustrating 
when you're going through this because you see the diagnoses move around and switch and change. And now some right. of them are good for a while. And uh, uh, I don't want to make it sound like it's all terrible, but it's it's got a long ways to go. It's got a long. Oh, ways absolutely. To go. Absolutely. And picking up on what you just said uh, previously, so the Holy Father, uh, how did you catch the attention of the Holy Father uh, with this video that's now featured on your website? Yeah, well, uh, it's it's more the, the Holy, the Holy, the staff of the Holy Father than him himself. I sure, yeah, sure. I, I have no reason, I have no idea maybe if he knows who I am or not. But, <laughs> you never but know. certainly his, the staff, the people that could put together the Pope video and the Papal Prayer Intention, uh, were looking for uh folks to help them prepare the video and prepare the ancillary support materials. So, so, so you can imagine as a Catholic, one morning I, you know, pull up my phone in the morning and look, and I got an email from the Vatican and thinking, Oh yeah, what's this all about? Um, <laughs> is this real? A right. Joke. Yeah. Is this for real? Or who's, who's pulling my chain here? But as it turned out, it was, uh, it was, it was for real and it's been wonderful to work with them. It's mm-hmm. been wonderful to see how they uh, are, uh, want to sincerely understand these illnesses. They contacted me because they were quite open about the fact that they don't really understand how to communicate and talk about these mental illnesses and suicide in the context of the faith. So I'm, so I'm glad they contacted me and we were able to talk through and, and work through how to present and, and talk about this stuff. So if you, if you go to the Vatican, uh, the Pope video, that's, that's, uh, you can Google the Pope video and with the Pope prayer intention, you'll see the, the video, which is a beautiful video. Also, other material on how to help people that live with depression. I wrote a couple pieces for Vatican News about my story and about how people responded to Katie's obituary. And also wrote about how another piece about how the saints live with mental illness. And because mm-hmm. often people, sometimes people wonder, well, can you be a saint and have mental illness? And the answer is, of course, you can Absolutely. be a saint and have a mental illness. It's not saying anything derogatory about a saint to suggest that they had mental illness. Some people might say, well, how could you say, you can't say the saints are crazy, uh, but that's, well, they're not crazy. They struggle with a mental illness. They struggle with all sorts of physical illnesses and addictions, just like the rest of us. And God can work through all of that. God's the greatest psychologist. God understands it better than any psychologist will ever understand. And through their suffering and deep faith and understanding and empathy with people that struggle with these illnesses. They can be uh, great guides to, to holiness for people that live with these illnesses. So it was wonderful to work with the Vatican. The Pope also even prayed on World Mental Health Day. He prayed for people that live with a mental illness. And I love it. It was a very short prayer. And I'll just read it to you here. He said, yeah. I would like to remember our brothers and sisters afflicted by mental disorders and also the victims, often young, of suicide. Let us pray for them and their families so that they are not left alone or discriminated against, but welcomed and supported. And I just love the fact that the Pope named it, that he basically said mental disorders. He used the word suicide. You'll see very few papal statements about suicide, in fact, almost none. And recognizing that they live with, uh, that they shouldn't be left alone and they shouldn't be discriminated against. So it's, you know, it's, it's good that the guy at the top is talking about this. Uh, what we really need is the people in the pews and in the parishes talking about it. But it's good to see that there's some leadership and support from the highest uh, levels of the church on this topic. The spirit's moving in this. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, just f- things that I've heard in the media and different statistics that have come out, certainly 
since the pandemic, people have become acutely aware of of the of the need for support systems, especially during COVID, while people were locked down. That addictions rose through the roof, and depression and, and and different challenges because people started to lose hope. And did you see that from your perspective? I mean, at that point, your organization was still coming together and relatively new. Did you see a big increase in in demands or needs for your services? Well, you know, it's a the problem with COVID, of course, is that we're still restricted somewhat from getting together. And, and right. we did try to continue some work in, uh, over Zoom. But yes, I've seen it for sure, like everyone else. I mean, the yeah. anxiety and the, isola- the isolation and resulting depression that comes from the isolation is a problem. Uh, we're made to be living community and be around each other. That's how I don't know about you, Jim, but I haven't had very many big, you know, apparitions from Mary or anything like that, where I see the love of God is with in my community and in my family. We're built to be around each other and not be isolated and yes. sitting in our rooms. I mean, obviously we had to do what we had to do to stay safe and, and get through this pandemic. But now that we're coming out of it and the, the death rates are, are coming down, I think we need to start to get back together again and support each other. Yeah. I mean, one of the terrible things was, you know, deaths by, uh, Drug overdose are up like 30%. And there's a fine line between a drug overdose and a suicide. And, you know, I don't know how a coroner can really tell the difference uh, right. you know, after the death. And I think that's one of the things, you know, God overcoming everything. I mean, that you know, some good come up, can come out of this pandemic is the realization that we need to be with each other. We need to take care of our mental health and mental illness. And, and the church has an important place in all of that. And uh, yeah. God wants to be with us in it. Without a doubt. Again, as your organization it continues to evolve, tell us a little bit about how it's growing. I see that there are different some different chapters around the country and different ways in which people can get involved. Uh, what kind of services uh, are you providing to parishes and dioceses right now? We'd like to see mental health ministry be as common as grief support or prison sure. support or, or youth ministry, just a common ministry in every parish. So we're trying to provide resources to uh, support folks that want to get involved in this ministry. So one of the biggest hurdles we have to overcome is lack of competence. The people think they can't do this, that they need to be a therapist or a psychologist to get into this sort of ministry. So uh, one, they don't need to be. In fact, if anything, it's better you're not a psychologist because we're not trying to fix anybody or treat any, anybody. The key word is a word that the Pope uses all the time is accompaniment. Just accompanying people that live with these disorders, accompanying their families, and also educating the broader community. So a key part of what we do is, is confidence building. Uh, so we, we offer a, a thing called a secular program called Mental Health First Aid, which is some basic information to build up some literacy and how to respond if someone's in a crisis, how to get them to the proper care if they're suicidal or if they're at, have, experiencing psychosis. We also offer an online course, Introduction to Mental Health Ministry, which you can take online through the University of San Diego and develop a mental health ministry plan for your parish. Because, for example, you and I living in eastern Pennsylvania, the needs of our parishes and dioceses are certainly different than we have a ministry, say, in Rapid City, South Dakota, with a lot of Native American reservations. So their needs would be different versus, you know, Center City, Manhattan. So you assess the needs of where you're located. And also your strengths of your ministry team, what you're comfortable doing, and come up with a plan to do this and then carry it out. We then have other resources on how to, say, do community education nights. Some folks might want to do uh, small faith sharing groups. So, for example, here in Scranton and other places, we meet twice a month where people who live with a mental illness 
come in and openly talk about their illness and where God is in the midst of all of it. Right. Because if you go to a secular support group, which is fine, like NAMI or someone like that, you're not really encouraged to talk about your faith. But these are faith sharing, not clinical support groups. These are faith sharing support groups. We also have a, uh, a support group for parents. Usually it's parents. Sometimes it's other, other family members and friends, but usually it's parents. And quite often they're in crisis because they, their child just attempted suicide or had a minute to a psychiatric hospital and they feel so all alone and isolated. I know because that's how we felt. You feel right. like you're the only one going through this. So we offer a spiritual support group where they can come and talk about it and learn that they're not alone. And also we provide information and resources in the community where the hospitals are, where the doctors are, where the other mental health resources are in the community. So we do do all of that sort of education and, and information and resources. And we also will provide grants to get this ministry off the ground. We don't want money to be a reason not to start this ministry. So mm-hmm. at this point, we're providing some small startup grants and some larger ones if a diocese wants to jump in and do it on a diocesan-wide mm-hmm. level. But it's, a, it's primarily a ministry of accompaniment and openness and just giving people a safe place to come and talk about their illness and wonder where God is in the middle of all of this and just mm-hmm. share and support each other in the midst of these illnesses. And, and I guess the key point is to keep saying it's an illness. It's not a moral failing. It's not a character flaw. Right. That you have depression or anxiety or schizophrenia. So that's what we do. Absolutely. And I see you have uh, Bishop Dolan as part of your organization. How did the bishop get involved? After Katie died, I heard from a couple people around the country and started yeah. wanting to build a network of ministries. And there wasn't okay. many uh, mental health ministries in this country. And in fact, the only place that it was done at a diocesan level was in San Diego. That was the only diocese in the country that had a mental health ministry program, uh, which is fortuitous because one of my sons lives in San Diego, but that was that okay. was a happy coincidence that I nice. have a reason to get out to San Diego uh, for ministry and for personal reasons. So I wound up getting in touch with the people from the diocese and got to know Auxiliary Bishop Dolan, who's very supportive of it. And, uh, you know, when you think you've got it bad, someone else has it worse. So, mm-hmm. you know, losing, bearing a child is... Terrible. It's a parents' club I never wanted to be a part of. But Bishop Dolan has, uh, Auxiliary Bishop Dolan has lost uh, two siblings to suicide and wow. a brother in law. So his, he's got a difficult, and his parents, of course, have lost, have buried two, two children. So he understands this issue and the need for a loving and supportive faith community to help us get through all of this stuff. And and this, uh, and that clearly he's a bishop, so he, he can understand where God is in the midst of all of this. So he's been very supportive. He and I co-edited these two books. Right. Uh, he's our chaplain for the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers, and mm-hmm. we formed an academic side of this ministry at the University of San Diego, which is his alma mater. And he, if actually, he actually lives on the grounds there at the university called the Catholic Institute for Mental Health Ministry. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so he's he's been a wonderful support. He's a great guy, and he definitely gets it uh, and understands the importance of this. Tell me about the, the two books that you authored together. We decided to write these books because I'll tell you, after Katie died, one of the ways I tried to deal with my grief was read and mm-hmm. really kind of delve into this. What? Why did she die by suicide? What's suicide all about? What does the church mm-hmm. teach? You know, and I just read and read and read. And, you know, Jim, there, there, was, there was almost nothing out there in the way of Catholic literature. Very little. There is some. Uh, Ron Rollheiser writes about this. He's a well-known writer. He writes about this. But there was very little authoritative literature from the broader Catholic community. So I got with Bishop Dolan, and we decided to edit these two books that would, you know, fill that gap in Catholic literature. 
So we wrote two books. One is a pastoral handbook for Catholic leaders, which provides guidance to, well, as it says, uh, uh, Catholic leaders, deacons, priests, lay leaders in the community, what the church teaches about suicide, what resources are available in the church on suicide, some of the psychological background on suicide. And we, uh, we you know, like Dave Jobes from Catholic University, who studies this. He's, uh, I never knew there was a subspecialty called suicidology, but oh, there really? is in the field of psychology. So he's a suicidologist, wow. uh, has studied this. And one of the main points I got from his, and the reason we wanted to include his chapter is, is that so many people who lose someone to suicide feel so guilty. They think they should have been able to predict it or see it coming or prevent it. And Dave Jobes, uh, Dr. Dave Jobes, says even though he's immersed in this field, his fortune-telling abilities are terrible. He cannot tell, you know, why this person with depression in these particular life circumstances, person A lives, and then person B dies by suicide. He cannot predict which one's going to die by suicide and which one's going to live. So parents and other loved ones should try to stop feeling so guilty about it. It's just Hard, hard to predict, and it's, it's almost impossible to predict who's going to die and who's not going to die. Fortunately, most people, the vast majority of people with these illnesses, do not die by suicide. So we wrote this one book to provide that sort of authoritative guidance. And then the second book is titled When a Loved One Dies by Suicide. And it's a shorter book with nine chapters. Now, you're a good Catholic, so why do you think we wrote it with nine chapters? Missing it. Okay, a novena. We wrote a novena, a novena, of course. A, no, of course, a, novena. a novena. We wrote it for. Oh. I always joke. I always, I always, you know, that's my little test for Catholic. <laughs> You're good. Why we wrote it with nine chapters. So it's it's nine chapters. It's a small book because when you're grieving, you can't read a, you know, you can't. You only can take things right. in small bites. So each right. chapter is a story from someone such as myself or Bishop Dolman or other people on how we've managed to uh, uh, deal with the suicide of our loved one. At the right. end of each chapter is a series of prayers to the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Mary mm-hmm. to reflect on. And you can sit with it. You can read it nine hours in a row, nine days in a row, nine weeks in a row. But to keep it in the context of prayer, uh, right. that God's with you in the midst of this uh, loss by suicide. And God understands suicide far better than any of us will. And God loves our loved one who died by suicide. They were not made to die by suicide. And like we all believe our Christian faith tells us there's always hope. And the church's teaching on suicide has changed tremendously. I don't know if you remember. I remember the the day, you know, certainly when I was young, and that there's still a remnant of this hanging around where if a person died by suicide, they weren't given a Catholic mass. Yeah. Couldn't be buried in a Catholic cemetery. Mm -hmm. At best, you could call it a very crude form of suicide prevention. Uh, But it was... Terrible. I mean, I know Absolutely. people now who lost their, you know, parents to suicide 50 years ago, and you know, they're just now able to talk about it. They, you know, they were so traumatized by the su- one the suicide, and then the church's response to the suicide. They got that's, yeah, traumatized that's twice. Terribly um, traumatic. Absolutely. Oh, can you imagine your your, your loved one dies, and then you're told you we're not going to give them a funeral? I mean, just horrible. right. So we, it still amazes me how people don't realize the church's teaching on that has changed, but the church understands psychology better now. It's, of mm-hmm. course, it's a grave matter to kill yourself. You, obviously, yeah. you shouldn't do that. But church understands that people in these psychological states, it's not done with a full rational mind and a deliberate act. For all, you know, 99% of the suicides, that's not the case. And, right. and so the church prays for people that die by suicide now. And at my at Katie's funeral, the bishop was there and a number of members of the clergy. It was a beautiful, consoling funeral, which is what a funeral should be. So uh, so that's what we wrote in the books, and we try to provide that sort of 
support and guidance to pastoral leaders and people that are grieving the suicide. The book's, uh, much to my surprise, got the award for Catholic Resource of the Year from the Association of Catholic Publishers, which I did not see that one coming, but I'm glad to see that uh, they're recognized as, as good, needed resources that are presented well. Bishop mm-hmm. Dolan and I didn't write every chapter, so we just assembled a bunch of good writers who, uh, who, who speak articulately on this topic. That's excellent. And uh, congratulations on that. Can folks find those on Amazon or? Yeah, I mean, you know, as the saying goes, any place good books are sold. Yeah, you can get them on Amazon. They're published by Ave Maria Press, which okay. is a, a long-standing, wonderful Catholic publishing house going back sure. into the 1900s. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, but you can get them. You can get them directly from Ave Maria Press, but any place else too that you buy books. That's great. Well, we'll make sure we leave links to that and to your website and everybody in, in the show notes. Tell us a little bit about how folks can get involved with your with your ministry, Deacon Ed. Well, the primary tool we have these days, like you just said, is, is the website, and uh, mm-hmm. we have a Facebook page. The website is catholicmhm.org, mm-hmm. so you can go there and get, read more information about it. There's two ways to get involved. Click on the Become a Member button. There's no cost. There's no fee. It's just a way to stay in contact with the person, and or also just sign up for some email information if you want, where we periodically send information out. The biggest thing we encourage people to do is to start a mental health ministry in their parish. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're there to support people uh, who want to do that. And you, like I said earlier, you don't have to be a therapist or a psychologist. If anything, it's better that you're not. What you need to do is have a great burning desire to bring the love of Christ in the lives of people who live with these mental illnesses and their families. Like you mentioned earlier, Jim, so many of us are touched by this. Right. Most people in this ministry either live with a mental illness themselves or have or know someone or support someone who lives with a mental illness or lost someone to suicide like I have, or both. I, I would put myself in the category of maybe a both. I don't have a serious mental illness, but but I live with depression. But some people have serious mental illnesses yeah. and have a great calling to, to enter into this ministry. So if you have that type of burning desire and empathy, we can give you the tools, we can give you the resources and build up your confidence to start this ministry and to realize that the Holy Spirit will guide you. As in any any ministry, the Holy Spirit works through us broken, distorted, you know, crooked pencils, if you will, and tools to bring his uh, presence into the life of a parish and the life of people that live with these illnesses. So don't be afraid. Take the step. Contact us. Like I said earlier, we can provide grants. You know, if your parish priest says, well, Jeepers, I don't know. I'd love to do that. But, you know, I don't have, you know, it's going to cost me money and we're already broke. We can help get over that hump, at least, if that's that's, that's a concern. Great. That's yeah. Terrific. And before I let you go, tell me a little bit about the work of the Katy Foundation that you founded. Well, sure. Well, the Katy Foundation is based here in Scranton. And, and our family, like families all across the country, I see this in communities wherever I go. It's it's a secular activity we, we the Katie Foundation is to raise awareness about mental illness and advocate for better care in our little corner of God's Green Earth here in Scranton and Northeast Pennsylvania. And I see families do this in places all over the country uh, where after their loved ones died by suicide, they want to do something to raise awareness in the community. So that's what we do. Uh, shortly after Katie died, my wife and I, of course, were no position to do much, much, but her friends wanted to have a little event and they called it the five Kate instead of a five K, a five Kate with a run and walk to raise awareness. So nice. they sat at that in 2016. And we just had the, the sixth one, uh, just this past fall. We do it at Halloween or around Halloween because that's when Katie's birthday was. So we, we turn it into a, a Halloween themed event 
too. And and the the little tagline is uh, uh, "Come in costume, but don't mask mental illness." The, <laughs> the thing being is that so often people with mental illness hide it; they mask right. it. So we use that as a theme to say, you know, the person sitting next to the pew might be smiling at you, but they also might be dealing with severe clinical depression and don't want to be open to talk about it. So we say, Mm -hmm. take off your masks and don't be afraid to talk about mental illness. So we do that as a fundraiser for our local National Alliance for Mental Illness and other uh, mental health advocacy groups here in Scranton. So yeah, the 5K it's called, and uh, it's a a nice event. Uh, This past year, we a few hundred people come out and... It's a good community awareness event. Well, Deacon Ed, it's been great to get to know you today. And uh, congratulations on all your success and God's blessing on the ministry. I hope it just continues to expand around the country. It's so needed. Every corner of our country, all around the world. I'm going to leave links to Deacon Ed, the foundation, the Pope's video, everything in the show notes of today's episode. Deacon Ed, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me, Jim. And thank you for talking about this, because it is something that we need to get out there and talk about much more. Thank you. Absolutely. God bless you. God bless. Thanks, Jim. I want to thank Deacon Ed for being on our show this week and for mobilizing this ministry so quickly to benefit our church. I'll leave links to Deacon Ed and the Association of Catholic Mental Health Ministers in our show notes and on our website. And for a link to the full video presentation of this episode, please visit our episode's homepage on advancingourchurch.com. Well, that's our show this week. Special thanks to Carrie Klein from Mission Advancement Partners for setting up our guest today and to Pottery Studios for another great show. And if you'd like to help our show, please leave us a rating wherever you downloaded this podcast. And for more information about the show and where to find us, you can go to advancingourchurch.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. And of course, Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for more than two decades. And remember, if you're thinking about a capital campaign or major gift effort or something new in 2022, please visit us at changingourworld.com. Well, that's it for me, everybody. I hope you have a great Advent. And remember, what are you going to give up for Advent? Have a great week, everyone. God bless. God bless.